0: I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2019 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. In today's program, we share some insights gathered from the National Farm Machinery Show on the promise and possible pitfalls associated with transitioning acres into an organic system. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll make every effort to get it added. And a reminder that by subscribing, that will allow you to get alerts when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy matters, and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, Norax boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioningcom growing solutions. One of the emerging trends in farming is a move toward organic practices. As consumers become more conscious about the origins of their food, no-tillers and strip-tillers are experimenting with transitioning acres into an organic system. The move can be a lucrative one, but as we learn from farmers and manufacturers, a successful transition requires planning, patience, and persistence. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, we share excerpts from our conversations at the National Farm Machinery Show where manufacturers and farmers shared advice, challenges, and outlook for the organic farming market. We first caught up with Bill Lemkul, longtime no-tiller from Minster, Ohio, and owner of Precision Agri-Services, who talks about some of the entry point considerations into organic no-till or strip-till. Bill, appreciate you taking a couple minutes here. So. You know, we're hearing a lot more about organic opportunity, and, and you know, certainly uh, there seems to be some trends, and momentum in the no-till and strip-till worlds that we're seeing. You know, farmers that are experimenting with you know a number of acres, trying to see if that transition could work on their farm. From your perspective, you're obviously coming from both kind of the farming world, but also the dealer environment, having customers. What what are you seeing and hearing?
1: Well. Uh, Again, Jack, I think the, the opportunity is out there on the organic side. I mean, we, we're actually seeing it in, in our area in uh, Western Ohio. Uh, Dan and Yogurt has even made a big push to the non GMO and organic side, sourcing some milk that way. But I think the opportunity is there for growers to, to take a look at that market that's out there and we've seen you know, a lot of different ways organic can be done.
0: So in terms of um, you know, what you're seeing with those different ways, you know, what are some of the, the entry points or the ways that uh, you know, you're seeing farmers kind of go about
2: getting into that?
1: Well, I think you can look at it at two different aspects. Number one, as, we, as you transition into, let's say, a no-till environment, we need to make sure if you're going to go into the organic side, we, we have our you know, weed control, our fertility where it needs to be. You know, we need to make sure the soil density issues are taken care of and, and things like that. And we've seen several extremes, I shouldn't say extremes, examples of how to do organic. On one hand, we've had the side where the guys out there in bare dirt invested in iron is constantly out there cultivating that crop and tending to it that way from weed control but we've also seen on the other side that we've had uh, growers out there that again have had good success with no-till but they've heavily invested in cover crops and with that that takes care of some of the fertility issues that you see and also the weed control
3: issues
0: so, from a management standpoint, obviously there are certain elements that are pretty critical to the success and, and the standard to uh, you know be certified organic. And, and if that's the, the direction farmers want to go, um, if you are in kind of that no-till, strip-till environment, you know, are, are there? You mentioned a couple, but other consideration steps that you you know maybe have talked with customers about, or just have heard that you know are, are really necessary to make sure you're considering if you want to. Do that successfully, or at least make an honest attempt.
1: Sure, I I think some of those considerations, uh, again, as I mentioned, I think you know addressing those fertility issues and and weed control issues up front. uh, Again, in my mind, as you know, uh, I've always said this before. If you look at the top tier of things, you really need to do even going into no-till soil density and drainage issues. Some of those types of things really need to be addressed. I mean. That's all leading up, key to make that you know organic crop and, and everything uh, where it needs to be.
0: It does seem that uh, you know there there is some momentum here, um, but it seems to be certainly uh, on on a small scale, uh, you know kind of the entry point into that transition for some no tillers and strip tillers. Um, you know for those farmers that uh, you know maybe wanting to explore that. Um, you know, and anything you're hearing on you know the opportunity associated with that, and it seems more difficult on a larger scale, but there certainly does seem to be some opportunity to advantage.
1: It does, and I th- I think the opportunity is there for farmers to at least look into that. I mean, some of the niche marketing and things like that that are out there. I mean, it doesn't. You know, I think that's where they need to look at and, and look at some of those niche markets, partner with somebody that that, that can help you bring that all into play full circle whether that's organic for example organic crop being going to livestock partner with somebody that you know is a livestock producer and and you can provide then all the grains and things needed for the livestock or you know the farmers market type of aspect so
0: so Long term, do, do you see this as a, a trend that has some legs when we're talking about the no-till strip-till system, or, or is it something that is going to be more difficult, you know, to to kind of increase on a larger scale?
1: I think uh, that's a great question, Jack. I think <laughs> I think when it comes to I think the success with with the organic side is probably going to have better success on the on the no-till and strip-till side than it is going to be conventional operation. So. I think it has some, you know, merits fitting into that type of scenario.
0: Any, any reasoning, you know, why you think? And I, and
1: I, I think it's a more, you know, conducive system. It's easier to, uh, you know, some of the problems associated weed control things like we talked about, getting that under control. Yes, you're going to have some insect you know you might have some issues with insects and things like that but that all goes full circle with with management and and you know of course management is key to everything when it comes to something like this but you know that all comes full circle with uh, it's a systems approach I guess I'd like to put it that way guys need to understand that when they come into it I, I would suggest They, you know, if they if it's their first time out, no tilling, and that again we address those address those issues leading up to that. We build into cover crops, get some of your benefit, get used to the management, get some of those things under under control, so you know what to do, and then build into the organic side.
0: We also chatted with Joe Bassett, president of Dawn Equipment Company, who discussed the opportunities and growth potential in no-till organic
4: soybeans. We're specifically interested in organic no-till. And like I was saying before, I believe organic no-till is from a theoretical standpoint the highest profit margin farming system. And it it and for me it it, it, it fits a sweet spot. A, it's very mechanical. We love making mechanical things. B it's a hard problem. And it's specifically the fact that most people think that it's A impossible or B. You know, it, it, not even like laughable. Uh, that's what. That's particularly what makes it a good problem. A, it could. It, farmers could make more money. Most people don't think it's possible, so it's contrarian. And C, you have some kind of macro trends amongst in consumers that want more nutrient dense food, that want more, uh, you know, a different set of qualities in in uh, their feed and food products. So it's. Too much of the organic debate is surrounded around dogma. You know, people are like, oh, organic and screw you, chemical people and blah, blah, blah. I don't really like, I think there's a lot of room for all sorts of different things. And it's a hard, hard, hard problem. Like, I don't think, you know, organic corn production and where you're going out and you're cultivating it four, five, six times and using like manual immigrant labor to hand weed and like all these other things. I don't think that's necessarily a great solution, too. I don't think it's, like, very sustainable. And a lot of producers are obviously, like, cynical because they see, like, the way that organic is messaged and branded to consumers versus what, the way you're actually producing those crops. And I, but I do think that it is possible through an organic no-till system or a system where you're basically ratcheting down. Like, everybody knows, like, it costs money to run a sprayer across the field and apply all this weed control products and things like that. Okay, so maybe you don't do an organic no-till system. Maybe you go from two, three herbicide applications to one. Maybe you take a system that there's a whole continuum between full conventional blah, 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 and like uh, organic, no anything, and there's like all of these different places to be along the way, and it's not just so, like, I don't view it as like a polarized organic versus non-organic spectrum. It's like that's like at one edge where you're using like zero, you know, chemicals, and then you have other Side, we're using tons of chemicals, and most people exist somewhere in between. Right. So, yeah.
0: can, can you talk a little bit about what you guys are doing with the University of Wisconsin on that
4: front? Um, last year, we started partnering with Drs. Silva and Doctor Locke and Aaron Silva's uh, graduate student Leah Varek at the organic no-till test plots at UW, and basically, they do some really great, coordinated, fairly large-scale uh, research in this area. I think it's awesome that there are people out there doing this research. Like I said, I mean, growing organic no-till soybeans is a disruptive technology. It's, it's, there will be a lot farmers will buy less stuff growing organic no-till soybeans. If, if you're like big biotech, you probably don't, you know, love the idea, right? You're selling a lot less weed control and a lot less technology. So, They do extremely good research and I'm happy to do it. And basically I just kind of, and, and they produce so many different conditions, different cover crop conditions where it's like, okay, here, we're going to grow like corn in this buckwheat here. We've got this cereal rye. here. We've got this clover, like all of these different cover crops, different types of things. So it enables us to kind of look at our products in a bunch of different areas too. And, um, just, just get that kind of like really carefully replicated testing that is tough to produce. With just like on-farm testing, Good. and Good. to see so many different conditions, so and I, yeah, I think that they're uh, they're right on the right track. They just the USDA just gave them a large grant to continue that research. So excellent.
0: So, what do you see? I mean, what, what does the future hold? The potential? Do you, do you see this as a trend that's going to develop here in the until or Do you think it's going to be? Worse? Yeah.
4: If 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 it works, it's going to catch fire. Right. Uh, Justin, one of our other team members, was telling me yesterday about one of our clients out in Nebraska that very large farming operations like fifty thousand acres, ten percent of it is like organic. Okay, well now you're talking about when you're talking about multi thousand acres, this this is a system that you could deploy on that scale. And if you if you make more money doing it, it's gonna win. If you don't, we're gonna lose. It's not about like okay yeah i mean yeah we're doing something great for the water quality we're doing something great for soil health but in the end it's a business the customers need to make more money and if we can find the win-win where we're improving soil health improving water quality and making like i view those things all as like not mutually exclusive at all that that healthy living soil is the basis of making more money for farmers and reducing fertilizer inputs and dependence on other you know inputs too so
0: Oakland, Iowa strip tiller Doug Applegate shared his thoughts on how to fit the puzzle pieces
3: together when considering an organic transition. Probably one of the first things that comes to mind is it just takes a high management level to achieve, you know, to be successful with an organic system. Um, I, On our farm over the years, we've kind of had a bias towards that with our livestock and crops, you know, tried to minimize the chemical inputs and Rotations and things of that nature. But um, we recently attended the no-till conference, and that was kind of an eye-opener for me. Uh, You know, some of the cover crop things that people are doing, and it just looks like it makes a lot of sense, you know, as that being a first stage into getting into an organic operation. Um, Kind of what we're seeing as far as, um, you know, the chemical mixing side, we're seeing farms that are doing some... Uh, that high-level management in organic, uh, but then they'll also have a big bulk of acres that are kind of conventional as well. So, you know, uh, you know a farmer that's big acreage, they're, they're getting into the organic, but may never be 100% organic, but they've got that section that they can manage well and be successful with organic.
0: When and right, obviously, the, the investment that comes with that, you know, and, and we've heard perspectives that it would be difficult to expect, you know, a, a two, 3,000 acre farm to be able to allocate, you know, right. the majority of their farm at this point, you know, and, and things may change with, you know, how things are, are developed.
3: But. I do think technology will bring organic uh, to the forefront because as we get automated weeding systems and vision systems that recognize a weed you know all of these things are going to make organic much more practical that's a good
0: point you're right i mean you know with the advancements that are being made mm-hmm. there uh you know you might be able to pinpoint some of those those weed pressures earlier uh in an organic system and, and maybe combat some of the you know uh, more traditional methods of adding those.
3: So. Exactly. Another thing that's really important with organic is being proactive on, say, weed or disease control. So I think it's kind of interesting, some of the drone technology these days. So being able to fly a drone often and take like a multi-spectral view of the field, there will be things that you can see with the drone picture before you'll physically see them in the field. And I think that is really key for an organic um, system is to be proactive with perhaps a disease that's starting to happen, or an insect infestation that's starting to happen. Taking a pill or throwing a bunch of chemicals at it, that's the, I mean, that's kind of the brute force big hammer method, really. And we've gotten comfortable with that because we have these tools. But in an organic situation, if you're proactive, it's all the difference in the world of being successful, I think.
0: We'll hear more comments on organic transition in a moment, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast series possible. And welcome in Dr. Ray Acevedo former assistant professor of precision agriculture at Kansas State University and consultant for TopCon Agriculture. In this week's technology tips from Dr. Ray, he discusses the science behind optical sensing technology and its recent evolution.
2: So let's start getting into some of the, the science behind why optical sensor technologies are so important to nutrient management. Why are they so usable? Why does an agronomist like myself really get excited about dealing with sensor technology? So if we look at it from a basic point of view, plants are a visual communicator. They speak to us with wavelengths of light. They don't speak to us through sound like I am doing with you on this webinar today. Through light and every wavelength of light is a different dialect of their language and it can inform us of the different types of stresses that they're experiencing and help us decide on what we should do to help them so if we start actually looking at this what we call the electromagnetic spectrum all the different types of wavelengths of light that are going out we see as humans is what's called the visible spectrum so this is our red green blues oranges yellows purples and just from that alone we can derive a lot of the issues what's happening to the plant. But when we start to incorporate optical sensor technologies it greatly improves our own human spectral resolution of what we can see in light and what the crop is saying is wrong. This is where I'm sure a number of you have heard of like near infrared light is that where it strongly interacts with plant cells and actually gives us a good gauge of plant biomass how big that plant factory is operating at. But then when we look at our reds and red edge lights, that's commonly used, say, from satellite technology or GreenSeeker or CrossFact, what this does is start giving us a gauge of how good photosynthesis is being conducted. Since red light is heavily absorbed by chlorophyll, it kind of gives us a gauge of photosynthetic capacity. And so between red light, red edge, and near infrared, we can start to see how big that plant factory is, and how efficient it's operating at to produce yield.
0: Well, thank you, Ray, and again to TopCon Agriculture for their support of this podcast series. You can listen to past technology tips and also find accompanying articles at striptillfarmer.com. Let's get back to the program now and hear from Peter Googe and Kurt Davis with Kuhn Kraus on some of the motivating factors and challenges when considering an
5: organic system. I wonder, one of the things you see is in what you you mentioned about public perception or public demand, you see it with shops like Whole Foods. You go into Whole Foods at the weekend, it's not older people. There's a lot of people younger than me in that, you know, people in their 20s who you would typically think maybe don't have the money or wouldn't not even when I was in my 20s I wouldn't have spent more on there. but they're choosing to spend more for this and when you look at what Amazon have done when they've bought out Whole Foods they're creating this uh, I think they call it everyday price or something like that they have these products in there that are, are cheaper than the typical organic section they're they're driving some of this you can have this organic product and you can have it at a a cheaper price they can't do it everywhere but that's going to drive some of this demand so
0: peter you were talking about kind of the uh the cover cropping element yeah and how that's going to play what's your your take and um you know how do you see that kind of advancing or factoring in here when we're talking about maybe the the advancement or progression of organic farming
5: well i think any grower that is looking or is practicing organic farming methods, they need to find a way that they can manage nutrients, that they can manage weed control without the chemical reliance glyphosate or um, chemical fertilizer, for want of a better word, that, that a more conventional grower would, would rely on. So that, that organic grower is really going to have to use cover cropping technology for uh, for a for a green cover to. to um control suppress suppress that's the word uh to suppress weeds companion cropping uh, some of these some of these things and also sequestering nutrients tying up that nutrient over the winter period and being able to re to be able to use it then in the growing season for the cash crop because they're going to be limited by what they can put down with organic manures you only have a certain amount of nitrogen that you can get down um and being able to use that most efficiently, it's going to be key for those guys.
0: So when, when we're talking about the uh, potential and uh, I guess the, the momentum that organic farming has, um, you know, what do you guys see as the opportunity or obstacles when we're talking about a no-till or strip-till system?
5: With either no-till or strip-till, both of these methods of crop management tend to rely quite heavily on either glyphosate for weed control in no-till or with strip-till you're talking about nutrient control and you're talking a lot about getting fertilizer be it an anhydrous or a dry or a liquid down in the strip so that your cash crop can make best use of it when you transition this to an organic farming method it's going to be difficult for those growers to be able to use no-till or strip-till, but then set aside the uh, either the glyphosate weed control, the chemical weed control, or the, or the uh, fertilizer management part. They, they all kind of go hand in hand. Not saying it's impossible, but it's going to be a big challenge.
0: From a momentum standpoint, Kurt, it, it sounds like maybe there is some opportunity here that this is a trend we still might see develop. Uh, you know, in farming, and maybe you know, in, in certain segments of no-till or strip-till. But what, what's your take on you know what what we expect or what you maybe you know foresee?
6: Yeah, I think I think there's definitely going to be momentum, and uh, there's going to be definite interest there is right now in organic farming. Uh, I don't think it's going to be on the big commercial scale as it would be for let's say corn or soybeans or wheat or cotton because those are just huge acres that we're talking about. And maybe it's not as easy for those folks on a commercial scale to transition to organic because there's so much on the line for the the farmer. Uh, But when we start talking about momentum and growth, I think it'll be more for the specialized crops, the uh, vegetable production, something that is an immediate food demand, uh, whether it be tomatoes or sweet corn or green beans or whatever that is, there could be more growth there because the demand is there immediately for those things, whether it be in the restaurants, the grocery stores, uh, for the customer. They are demanding. They want a, a chemical-free food product. And uh, it's, you know we've got one of the safest food supplies in the world here in the United States, and our customers are even demanding more. And, uh, you know, that's fine. But... Uh, That's where I think the growth is going to take place in some of those immediate foods that uh, the customer's demanding that they want to have that type of food source. And uh, that's gonna take more acres as well because as we understand with a lot of the genetics and farming in today's practices, we have achieved a high level of production with those set of practices. Now, if we're gonna change to organic, We've got to remove some of those tools that we've used to achieve that high level of production. Uh, so we're naturally going to accept less production for whatever vegetable crop that is. That means we're going to need more acres to produce the same volume and as we go into the future the forecast for uh, what 2050 is 9 billion people on the planet which means we need more food. We're going to need more acres even then for more production of those types of food sources. So that becomes the real challenge. Uh, so let's say a vegetable farmer today may be growing 100 acres of whatever crop that is. He's going to need 200 to go organic uh, to hit those kinds of volumes. Now, the, the price is going to be higher. They'll, they're going to be able to Uh, demand a little higher price for their product, the farmers are, because the uh, demand is there for that product, but it comes with other challenges. As uh, Peter mentioned, there's going to be other things to deal with, weed suppression, uh, productivity, Uh, how do we get the fertilizer, the nutrients to that crop, organic types of fertilizers we don't know how effective those are going to be compared to the commercial fertilizers that we've been using. So nutrient management, wheat suppression, acres of production, those are gonna be big challenges that we uh, go forward with, with organic style farming. It's gonna be a lot more difficult on the commercial scale. So if we're producing, if we're utilizing uh, approximately 90 million acres in the U.S. to grow corn Can you imagine 180 million acres just for corn? Well, that doesn't leave anything for soybeans, wheat, uh, other crops, so you can see how challenging that would be on a commercial scale as compared to an organic uh, vegetable type uh, uh, farming situation. So I think there's growth there, but it's gonna be in niche markets.
0: Finally, we had a chance to chat with Jason Federer, who has 20 years of strip-till experience and has been expanding organic practices into his 4,000-acre farm near Walcott, Indiana. He discusses his approach incorporating no-till into his organic operation and some of the economic benefits he's seen with an organic system.
7: I've got acres already certified organic. I have for a few years now. I've got more in the works transition. I'd like to get 100% there eventually. It's, I mean, it's it's tough to do, but it's something I'd like to get done, mainly from a soil health standpoint. Uh, and for quality of product you know human food standpoint we've uh, we were strip till for a good 20 years been doing cover crops for well over 10 I don't know if I'd call it I wouldn't call it never till but using tools like a sulfur or speed disc or something had good luck with it organic we we've tried organic strip till the, the, the one thing about organic is, you can have the best plan in the world until the weather comes, and then you go to plan B, plan C. It, uh, the, the year we did strip till organic, we were going into clover, and it was kind of a thin stand. And um, it actually, between the strip till and the flame weeder, it was looking great beginning of June. And then we got 30 inches of rain in June. It, it was done. I mean, we had to disc the crop under later. I've not been able to get back to strip tilling organic, j- just for what I'm trying to do no till organic. I'm going to try some of this year with roller crimp and rye. I've got some other options too. Um, I'm looking to follow oats with. We'll see how that goes. I mean, it's an adventure every year.
0: (laughs) Talk a little bit about kind of the scope of what you're doing on the organic side right now.
7: Um, We started out with 90 acres that a neighbor of mine knew I was interested in doing organic. It was turnkey ready to go, basically. I didn't have to transition that. We'd been doing popcorn. That had worked well. Uh, We started after that first year with that, even though we got rained out, we started transitioning more of our own ground. Um, right now we've got 250 acres. Uh, I've got another, another 160 that's a year away. And then, uh, the next year after that, it'll be, uh, over a thousand. Um, we farm about 4,000 acres. So, um, I'm hoping after I get these smaller chunks going and, and producing income that I can throw in, I don't know about all at once, but, But one or two more transition sections and then i'll be good um it's obviously it's a lot more work and planning but it's it's also a pain when you've got different management styles organic uh you know conventional um i've already i've already switched everything over to non-gmo i did that last year just it's one less thing i have to worry about um uh right now um mainly corn beans wheat as far as organic I'm doing some rye uh, that if there's a market grade if not I'll use it for my cover crop use yeah
0: so so you mentioned kind of uh, those those first 90 acres are kind of you know ready to go kind of tailored Uh, for that transition how have you kind of you know made that work as you've kind of slowly expanded here from you know like a a prep preparation standpoint management style uh, how
7: we're transitioning yes um, it's, it's pretty simple, I guess, and it's, it flat works. I haven't seen any reason to change it yet. Um, our first field, we transitioned on our own. We uh, used a, a clover mix, frost seeded after wheat. We, we don't have to use any chemicals. We can top dress with chicken manure. Um, and then uh, we're actually gonna strip till into that. That's where we had a little success uh, the first year we did it, running one pass in the fall to, to break through some of that and then back in the spring you about got to do it twice um, I, th- I think now um, I picked up a flail mower last year I think between uh, having a flail mower and some of the other companies that are having individual row flails I think there's a lot of promise in, in that if we can get the right crops that can uh, we can terminate by, by mowing consistently terminate by mowing um, I, I like that uh basically our transition has been start out with wheat uh, or rye i'm doing both this year um, frost seed uh, alfalfa into it um, and i like alfalfa better than clover after doing it uh, and uh that that summer after the wheat i'll just mow it because i want to keep returning stuff to the ground the year after that we'll take a few cuttings off and sell the hay so we're getting some income while we transition and then after that you plant your organic corn crop and uh and it's all good until you got to do beans. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure.
0: So you, you mentioned obviously, uh, you know, experimenting with strip till and organic and, and uh, no-till. So how, how mm-hmm. much of your operation is organic, no-till or strip till? Or, or is that something you're
7: right now? Uh, last year, none. Okay. Um, I, I guess you, I guess you'd call the rye no-till. Uh, we do no-till that, but I can't say that we ridged cultivate. We used the heneker and ridged it. So we had to knock it back down. Um, Right now, none. This this coming year, um, I am going to try to, uh, I'm going to have to knock my ridges down, uh, plant oats, and I'm going to try to uh, roller crimp into that, follow that. Um, so
0: So what, what are some of the, the big benefits you've seen since you've kind of been making this transition?
7: Nothing I could probably put numbers to. <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, um, I've not really had, I don't have good, uh, soil health tests mainly because we just haven't had time to get the test done the way weather's been lately. Um, I, I'd like to start tracking that a little better right from start to finish. The the economics of it just makes sense. I mean, I, e- even if you get a half a crop, they still make sense. They, they're just, it's, it's almost too good to be true in a way. I mean, it, obviously there's a lot of work and there's a lot of unknowns, but just trial and error till you get there on that. I know there's better soil health out there. I I can't give you a number. Um, I, I can't tell you. You know, I, I've seen the ground is is the ground wasn't bad before. It's it's but you you know you can work it and it stays mellow. It uh, um, the earthworms they were there before. They're there even right after you till. The the tillage, I mean, and I'm not talking about deep ripping or, or moldboard plowing, I'm, I'm talking about keeping it shallow. It really doesn't cause the problems people's people. I, I've seen no till that's hurt the ground worse than properly done tillage. I guess we'll put it that way. Sure.
0: So ultimately, now with you mentioning you, you want to kind of experiment transition, uh, you know, a certain number of no-till acres into organic this year, try that out. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of long-term, is that kind of a, a broader transition you're looking to make? Are you trying to it, incorporate more acres into it, it, organic if, no-till? Yeah, it,
7: it, if, if I could do, or someone can show me organic no-till that consistently works, I'm all in. I mean, that's that's the holy grail right there, But Guys have tried it and, and, uh, and, and you know, good for them. Um, I've seen it fail too many times. The people who pioneered this, it's hit or miss, you know, and, um, I'm still gonna try, but, uh, y- you know, it, last year I had planned on roller crimping rye and putting beans in. We had a really hard winter on the rye. We weren't able to. I mean, it just, you know, you have the best of intentions and you, you still got to get a crop out there. So, yeah, that's.
0: So, you know, kind of wrapping up, what what words, uh, I guess, of advice or, uh, you know, maybe caution would you have, you know, for farmers and, and kind of thinking more, you know, the, our audience in kind of that no-till, strip-till area, uh-huh. if they are considering, you know, maybe experimenting, wanting to try and transition mm-hmm. in some of their acreage in, into an organic system, you know, from maybe lessons you've learned and yeah. your experience?
7: Um, don't be afraid to do it. Don't jump in with huge acres obviously uh do your research make sure you uh know the product you're growing know your market have be aware of the toolbox you need to do it with um you might be all set to go in there no-till until weather hits and okay where do i find this tool to work the ground do i find a flail mower to deal with the residue um be aware of of what you're going to need you're going to need you know i've got uh I've got a, I bought a tine weeder. Um, I really liked the idea of it. I bought it two years ago, I haven't used it yet. I, I took it out in the field for five minutes and, and tried it, but it's one of those things, that if the situation's right, it, it'd be you know the perfect thing to use, but I haven't found the situation yet. At the same time, I don't want to give it up because when I do need it, it's you know a Lilliston cultivator. That's, that's another one that I used this year. And it, it's funny, one week, that Lilliston will be the only thing you can use the next week, it might it might be useless. I mean, it's just trial and error, a lot of it, you know, as far as that goes. But yeah, don't don't be afraid to try. And if, if you're gonna try it, you're gonna fail at some point, you know, just try to minimize the, <laughs> the risk. I guess right. that'd be the right. advice I give.
0: Well, thank you to each of the farmers and companies we spoke with in Louisville. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for helping make this strip-till farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices, impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Strip-Till, F-A-R-M-R, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on March 1st for the next episode in our 2019 podcast series. And a reminder that you can still register to receive our strip Farmer print publication at striptillfarmer.com. For the farmers and companies we visited with in Louisville, TopCon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at strip Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening.